and welcome to What Makes Them Tick, where you can learn life lessons from extraordinary people. My name is Doug Green, and I'm an author, adventurer, and interviewer. In this episode, I talk with adventurer, author, and photographer Luna Merck. She spent a lifetime finding adventure and expressing her creativity through writing and photography. Hi, my name's Doug Green, and welcome to What Makes Them Tick. I'm an author, interviewer, podcaster, videographer, and photographer. But underneath all of that, I consider myself to be an explorer and a messenger. And one of the things I like to do is find out what makes others tick. What do they do? What drives them to do it? What are their lives like, both out there in the world and also inside themselves? How does the outside reflect what's going on on the inside? It's obvious then that I'd be interviewing Luna. I'm going to watch this, but I'm going to try Merck. Merck. <laughs> I met her in the Bay Area when I lived in Marin County. She's originally from Den- from Denmark, but in addition to Europe, she's lived for parts of her life in Asia and America. And she is also an explorer. She's explored the outer world as a mountaineer, trekker, traveler, dancer, author, photographer. She's also explored the inner world. I could say more, but why don't I read part of her bio for you? So here's what she says on on her website. At heart, I'm an explorer. I'm also a writer, visual storyteller, speaker, and catalyst for leap-taking, dedicated to inspiring more freedom, authenticity, and sovereignty in the world. The unknown is more familiar than any place I might call home. The journey of discovery still thrills me. While most people fear change, I fear it not. The intelligence of life continues to blow my mind as I do my very best to honor the way it wishes to express through me. My method seems to be explore, embody, express, evolve, or die. Just a bit. In my work, I seek to bridge the intimate and universal, peel away the fear and frenetic numbness that obstructs authentic presence, explore the geographies of body and soul, and capture the eroticism of being alive. In our interview, we'll first find out more about her life, what she's done, where she's been, where she's, what, she, what she's doing and all that. And then we'll dig in deeper and learn more about what drives her to do all these things, what shaped her, where this burning desire to explore and express life quote, comes from. So, Luna, thank you for joining us. <laughs> it's good to be here. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Ah, you've got such a good laugh. I love it. It's a good, so you must be having some fun in your life, too. So perhaps you can give us an overview of your life at first. Let's just, you know, where did it all begin? What did this, when did this exploration part of you first start expressing itself? What was that like? Where has it taken you? And what adventures and explorations have you done because of it? And, you know, kind of give us the, the, the broad scope here, the 50,000-foot view, if you, if you might. Okay, that's going to be sort of an interesting, uh, I'm thinking about, I could do it sort of like a decade-wise, you know, each decade, what's been going on. <laughs> well, think of big uh, milestones along the way. So, yeah, yeah, let's, let's, yeah, let's begin at the beginning. You're born in Denmark, right? Yes, born in Denmark, small town by a, by a fjord. Um, and when I think back in terms of just... When did I know or when did I first experience uh, this 
explorative uh, part of my nature, my personality. And, and it's sort of interesting because in a way, my life at that time was sort of in a, a small village, like a cocoon. Family was close by, my grandparents. So it was very safe in a way. Uh, and I remember that when I was a girl, before even I went to school, the things that I were doing would be actually solitary stuff like writing in my diary and drawing and um, dancing. There was something about dancing too, which is kind of fun for me to think about now because, you know, now I'm approaching 50 and the things that I love to do now that gives me probably the most personal pleasure is dancing is writing and then maybe not painting but then there's sort of that visual thing that snuck into my life uh, through the photography um, so that's sort of an just a thread that I could see that those things that I did as a kid I am still engaged with so as a kid in a you were way. as a kid you were dancing and exploring and were you journaling or writing yeah and... yeah yeah I I I um I started journaling and I I wanted to learn early on I remember asking my mom she taught me how to write before I went to school and and reading and I did my my brother who's older than me I did his homework I, I, I was so excited about learning but I was sort of a I mean I enjoyed being social with my family. My I loved being at my grandparents' farms and cousins and but I was actually not an extroverted person. Like my I remember mom sometimes told me that she was trying, why don't you go play with the neighbors? Go, no, I'm fine. I'm doing my thing. You know, I was like that. Until you know, I I started going to school and my world opened up a little bit and I became social, you know, more extroverted. Um, that said, uh, I know you kind of want some clues as to where did the inspiration for sort of the traveling, uh, explorative part yeah. come in. And, and I think about my, the universe at that time, you know, were the, farms of my grandparents and and on one hand one set of grandparents had a farm that was with land and animals and and it was sort of an ecosystem and i think when i think of that i not only got to experience being so in tuned with the season the land the animals that i carry with me today a deep appreciation uh, for animals, for the land, for nature, and, and understanding that being in sync with seasons, uh, what is required to keep that ecosystem uh, thriving, the animals and, you know, the feeding the people, you know, it's just such, such an interesting, but I also remember it as a very sensual, you know, this, the, mm. the, I could still tap into the, just the sound of summer and this my, my grandparents always needed to have a nap and I would be squished in between them on this little little diva and like little couch for a, a nap after lunch and just this sort of very like the whole damn farm was breathing I remember that still as sort of a cocoon like of safety and sensual and um, physical and that visceral part that really spoke to me. 
Um, so and then on. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. no. I was going to say. So here you are on a, on a farm. This sounds like wanting to stay in one place and being yeah. homebound, but that's not exactly what your life has looked like. <laughs> No. Later on, when I was a teenager, my, my grandmother on that side of the family, she was like, why can't you just stay in Denmark and meet a nice boy and, <laughs> you know, have a normal life? But I was bitten by the travel bug. And, and, and maybe the other set of grandparents on my mother's side were more dreamers and explorers. And, and my grandfather had, um, he spoke French. And he'd been in the Legion, so he traveled, uh, the French Legion. Um, so he had a mystery around him, you know, like he taught me how to count in French. And he had this globe, I remember spinning always, looking at all these places you could go. And he would take us on picnics, and we would go out. Like he liked to go out and do stuff. Um, and there was one place in Denmark where they built um, the world in a lake with little islands. So each continent and country were had had its island with flags. So you can in little boats, but also jump and bridges. You could kind of jump around the world, um, oh. which was kind of a fun thing when you think about. It. That's what I ended up doing in a way. Um, but that was you know the early. The fascination with language and and this mystery of where has where has he been like where did he go like what happened you know so there's sort of that curiosity, hmm. um, and I think you know speaking about sort of the inner experience I think curiosity you know I think I have a deep curiosity. Um, I remember as a kid there was this program on TV for kids with this guy in Danish Borojan, and it it means uh, questioning, like the guy who questions everything. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I have sort of a deep inquiring mind. And uh, the first time that I sort of ventured beyond... Um, yeah, so it was your grand... It was on the... It's interesting that you have, on one side of the family, you've got this pretty strong influence that came in and want made you want yeah made you appreciate like a deep kind of the hearth the home mm -hmm. and being in one place is kind of the way i'm reading that or at least yeah having a home like yeah. a place a sense of place. i mean those the, the, and they, then on the other they side they never left <laughs> yeah and then on the other side this traveling around the world hopping from continent to continent and place to place that's really two energies, two different kinds of energies, and it's interesting to – I'm curious to see how you play with those, the dance you do between those two or with well, those two. Well, it, I think it's uh, probably – if I were to look back with that particular lens, I think <laughs> it's a, a, a continuous dance with a paradox. It's like two drives in me that have to coexist, and they don't always agree. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at some times, you know, I give in to one side and then I have to swing back over on the other side to create a little bit of balance. <laughs> and we could we could get back to that because I'm sure that that's probably part of where I'm at now. Uh, yeah, let's uh, let's move on to your, um, you know, when my you teens? first sort of escape the uh, escape where, Denmark. 
escape the farm (laughs) well my parents weren't living on a farm um so that was more like a more of a regular life going to work and taking care of kids and making life work for the family and um but um you know i think I had a moment when I think I just turned 15 or something and uh, I wanted to go to this big musical festival in Denmark and it's close to Copenhagen and, and lots of people and alcohol and drugs and rock and roll. And, and my father said I couldn't go. And this was like a, defining moment of claiming my sovereignty <laughs> because <laughs> I, I, I ran away. <laughs> I, I ran away and I went to this thing and I felt entirely safe. Um, maybe I was around some suspicious people, but the people that I was really connected with, I didn't feel were you know, out on a limb in any way. Uh, so I wrote a big letter back home. I'm old enough to take care of myself. Please get off my back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I was in Copenhagen for this couple of weeks. And yeah, there was around um, at that time squatters. There was a lot of squatting going on in Copenhagen with punks. And there was some of that. But I was still sort of a little bit of that innocent, trusting girl from other part of the country (laughs) so (laughs) I didn't feel scared um and I remember coming back home and going oh dear what's he gonna do is he gonna put me into confinement forever or you know but um you know he was quiet for a day and then that was sort of it that was sort of that showdown it's like okay you know Hmm. give me my independence and and um and he did. So uh, where to go from there now? You've you've claimed your independence. You've got this desire to start. I assume yeah. to start exploring. So yeah, I mean, I went to you know it was a time to both sort of look at education and what do I want to do after just high school and uh, went into business school and that was not it for me. Um, and I went to London. There was an opportunity to go with a friend, and um, I worked there in London. At, I was 16 for one year, and then her and I, the sort of the high point of that whole experience, you know. Of course, being in London was amazing, but I was almost too young to really take advantage of the cultural life of London. Um and being kind of on my own with English, you know, it was just sort of a humbling in a way experience, but also giving me a building up the confidence to be in the world on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, trusting people are good. And I think Scotland really drove that home because my friend and I went there for two weeks hitchhiking around Scotland, you know, so we were sort of out there, two girls being picked up by strangers and uh, but at that time it was safe i mean i'm sure stuff happened at that time too but today i'm not sure anyone really would want to do that uh but for me at the time it was a beautiful opening because not only was scotland like more of a highland big landscape denmark is sort of a smaller groomed quaint 
beautiful, um, not like big mountains or, um, big, you know, some areas of Denmark are rocky, but in Scotland, it was, it was sort of like a, whoa, this is big nature. Mm. And uh, I, I, and the language, the rolling R's, you know, the way they speak and, <laughs> uh, and, and Edinburgh, you know, like the old, 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 um, Castles I don't, and... yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like, um, there was a, a mystery and you could feel the historical. Um, and, and for me also just this deep in, embedded in me that the world is benevolent. I can be out there and people are good. Interesting. Pe so you, yeah, I would imagine and, that was a really important piece. I think so. I, and, and, you know, I haven't actually been back to Scotland since, but I, it's my first country love, my first love affair with a country. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, you know, I was all hot. I, I'm going to go to Kibbutz in Israel and I'm going to travel the world. You know, I, I, had, I was turned on. I wanted to see the world. And, and then at the same time, it's, you know, it's that age where you, you kind of need to get yourself educated. And so I did the sensible thing. I went back to school and um, lots of things around that, but it's not really so interesting. I, I liked learning. And at that time, I also met my sort of first boyfriend live-in I was with for, I think, three years. Mm. Um, and we went to university um, together and then we actually split. And I In think Copenhagen? one of the... No, this was another town in uh, Denmark that has a different style. It was more of a modern style of university at the time because all, um, rather than being on your own path and reading and lectures and exams, this was based in project. Each semester you would do a project with a team. Hmm. So in that sense, it was based on you learning to the project tools. And your curiosity from, probably loved it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also academic, you know, analyzing a lot of information and putting things together, you know, connect different dimensions and, and concepts. And, you know, so it was sort of an interesting, it's not, it fit me, but it didn't, but in the big scheme of things, I think it really taught me to think in projects, you know, how initiating a project, an idea, a concept, investigating, researching, uh, you know, as I do today, you know, with books or, you know, I, I very much like to work in a project oriented way. There's a beginning and there's an end, you know, <laughs> so that fits my personality. And I think for that reason, that, that experience at university was okay. Okay, but, so but, you go to university and you then it ends. Um, no, no, for, because what? because this is interesting. With this boyfriend, sort of my first love, um, he was very much uh, a homebody at the time. He had no desire to travel. Like he was not interested in the world, and he was happy <laughs> where he was. And I think even I'm mourn for years the fact that it didn't work out with us but i think my soul were like no 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 with him i could see the next 40 years of my life and i could not stand it 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we split and that was definitely not easy. <laughs> and, and, but then I took a year off from uh, university and I went traveling in Asia with a backpack. Um, and that was another one of those eating up the world and being in the world. And at that time today, I'm so grateful, but at that time there was no computers and iPhones or Facebook or so there was just no distractions. There was nothing of a, a virtual world calling for your attention and your uploads and your communications. This was you being in the moment. And uh, where did you go? I went to Thailand, uh, Malaysia, Singapore, uh, Indonesia, Sumatra. I went to India and I went to Nepal. And Nepal was the sort of the pinnacle of my journey, the icing on the cake. But at that time, this was in um, following the 89 Berlin Wall that came down. In 1990, April, was when I was standing on the border of Nepal, and they had closed because they were in revolution, and uh, the people wanted democracy. And um, they had a, they have a king, kingdom, or they had. Um, so there I was, after all these months, waiting to get to the final destination, Nepal, you know, which was sort of the the place <laughs> and uh, and I couldn't get in uh, and I remember just arguing with the border people I'm like no I've traveled this far I'm not turning back I want to get in there and they let me in and um, and it took me some days of waiting around in empty bus stops like fields with just a cow and a maybe here and there a person that made me a cup of tea, you know, it was just like nothing was happening out there, but I made it uh, slowly over some days getting into Kathmandu. And the day I entered Kathmandu was also the day the King, uh, there's a word for this, uh, but where he acknowledged the people were going to get their democracy. So he wasn't getting off his throne, but he was saying, okay, we're going to establish a democratic political system. So it was a triumphant moment to enter into Kathmandu. And uh, I don't know, I just fell in love with these people Mm. and the demeanor, their friendliness. And, and again, you know, you're biking around Kathmandu, there's military all over, there's curfew, you got to be home by seven. And it's sort of, but I just never felt scared. I mean, that I think about today, right? If you're in a place where there's revolution or this and that, I'm I'm certain I would be a little more concerned. <laughs> <laughs> but for some reason, the the feeling out there was never. And I fell in love with Nepal, and basically, I went back to university and dreamt up some excuse to go back there as part of my studies, and and I went out there uh, for eight months. Um, as part of my education and was working with the Danish embassy and the development agency had sponsored some activities to help teach about how do you run a democracy, how do you vote and how does it all work. So I went with a local uh, 
group uh, of consultants, local academic consultant guys, Nepalese guys out in the boondocks, and you can imagine <laughs> the kind and of you're like, what, clash. Yeah, I'm 22 or 23, or uh -huh. I don't know how. And here I am sitting in nowhere land in the Himalayas with three Nepalese men who have all kinds of projections on Western women. And I think they're completely stuck up and stupid. And so <laughs> we had many, many discussions. <laughs> and it ended up in some kind of drama in the end where I just thought they were the most childish people I've ever met. But it was just sort of funny. <laughs> and now I could laugh. But then after university, um, I actually, my first job took me out to Nepal working for Care International via a Danish um, NGO that, uh, that sends out people in different projects in the developing world and um, to support. And I was working out there for... Um, three years and of course you know I was also in love with the mountains you, you mentioned that I like to track so I I was tracking and started to climb the little peaks uh, of the mountains out there and were absolutely fascinated and also certain that oh one day I'm gonna climb Everest <laughs> <laughs> but um but this was through my 20s so you know my 20s were very much geared towards or oriented towards Nepal you know Nepal was my big love affair mm. and um, I kept sort of you know the work and I kept coming back and then I, around I guess around does it make sense end of my 30s I let's see yeah so 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 here's the thing, in terms of if we're going to look at, I was trying to sort of see my different decades in my life, what the orientation was at that time. So 20s my twen yeah. 20s was the world. It was traveling. It was Asia. And I did a lot of outdoor uh, activities. You know, I, it's not like I'm a super sports woman, but, you know, I was introduced to rafting and rock climbing and trekking. And so I loved being in the nature this way, mm -hmm. going, going back to maybe my grandparents, just appreciating being in nature. And, um, and then there was sort of the, the physical, it was a very sort of outward oriented adventuring, you know, exploring um, and also testing my own for some reason, you know, the outdoor stuff, the climbing, and it was scary stuff, right? But it was sort of an, an external way of confronting my power, my physical power, my mental power, my psychological power. And I remember before I left Nepal, my brother and a couple of other people gathered to go climb a, a peak that was uh, 22,000 something something feet so 6,000 some to 6,200 meters, which was kind of a big peak. So I remember climbing that peak with my brother and we made it and there was lots of scary moments, but coming back down, walking through the night just to come down from altitude, um, I, yeah, I remember having this big discussion with myself what the hell is this thing about me 
going out there to scare myself to death like why do i why does it have to be so scary <laughs> why what is it i'm trying to prove you know so i was in this and i'm saying it because um we're probably going to talk a little bit about my book seeing red but but at this point it was at the end of my 20s and i had started to question my sort of um external type of i you know, you could say a little bit masculine. Uh, yeah, that, that place to test yourself. And, yes, uh, and, and, and proving myself. And, and I think, for one, you know, there's sort of the academic proving that my professional life, realizing here I, I come out wanting to help develop the Nepalese and ultimately they help me develop. You know, it's me <laughs> learning a lot about how do you actually develop and then on the more personal that with the big outdoors being with the guys you know out there doing scary stuff and um and it was it's it set off the tone i think for my 30s in a way because when i came back from that track uh, or the climb i found this book in a bookstore called Pilgrim's Bookstore in Kathmandu that unfortunately later on burned down, but I think they might have re-established somewhere. If not, the earthquake took it. You see, Nepal has had a very dramatic lifeline. Perfect for um, you. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. So, so the book was what? It was, it was a book of this beautiful, beautiful sort of diamond-shaped mountain called, and then the title was The Sacred Mountain. And that was the mountain in in far western Tibet, Mount Kailash, which was sacred, so you could not climb it. But pilgrims from Buddhist and Hindu traditions was sort of a pinnacle of your life to go there at least once to circumambulate this mountain. And it was said to uh, release the karma of a lifetime. So there's a lot of spiritual, philosophical, mythical um, connotations and meanings of that mm -hmm. particular mountain i was like wow you can't climb it that sounds kind of cool like you could just walk around and so i don't have to go scare myself you know? <laughs> uh, but that became then my my journey took me to america from there a boyfriend and we went exploring the Western states uh, for about six months. And him and I did not work out. You know, I, I had a bit more ambition. And he was really just living for his outdoor life at the time. Um, but being opened up to America was, you know, and the Western states with that grand natural, uh, the parks, was sort of uh, wow! Look at this. Here's big more landscapes. Big yeah, mountains. yeah, yeah. And being used to Nepal, you know, I what can match the Himalayas? So this was sort of like wow! Mm. Here's another land with amazing, huge nature where I really felt the freedom that I could breathe. There was spaciousness, and and um, so that turned me on to America. But I went back to Denmark, and then. Faith would have it that I was connected to a school, the Chaos Pilot University, uh, that had an outpost in San Francisco. And they actually hired me to go work for them for a year. And that brought me back to San Francisco. And this is So when? this was in uh, 98, 99. Okay. 
And this was where I then met uh, Christian, an American in San Francisco. And instead of going back to Denmark with this school when we closed down the outpost, I went back to stay in America. But first, we went to do this trip in Tibet. I took a group of people with a friend from Australia to go do a pilgrimage around this Mount Kailash in Tibet. Uh And and I brought this, the love interest, (laughs) (laughs) all these strangers. And really, I was excited to go be with this mountain and and understand a little bit about the mythology and the spiritual uh, aspect. So that was sort of an opening also uh, uh, to the spirituality. And, and because I think all the being in nature and, and, and being out in these unknown terrains, you know, kind of works you in all kinds of dimensions. And I think I might have opened up a little bit to the spirituality in me and the spiritual connection with the grand nature. Um, the grand so, nature, what does that mean? Um, the, it's, it's, it's just grander than you. Like when you're climbing up on a, a mountain and you're standing there and you're looking out over the Himalayas and, and you're just a tiny speck, <laughs> like you're just... <laughs> So I think the perspective of that, but also the almost like the oneness with that when you're out there for weeks and you're physically, you're just walking. Life is so simple and you're breathing. You kind of become one with the movement and with the nature and you're also subjected to whatever the weather and the, and the nature is doing, you know, so like there is sort of a, a, a humility and understanding how you're one little speck in a big, in a big um, theater, mm-hmm. <laughs> like in a big, in a big universe. Um, so the spirituality connected to going on a pilgrimage was really, really interesting. And Phil Cousineau wrote this book, The Art of Pilgrimage, that I also read, which is a beautiful book about using the the walking the trekking and going into these places as a spiritual practice as a meditation um so i was curious about that versus the masculine i'm gonna conquer the mountain you know so here you are on this trek around mount kailash you've brought your love interest over there you've you're taking a group around managing that so I've read the book, which I think is a great book. Tell us about what happens on that trek. <laughs> and uh, what have you learned from that? Um, I mean, a lot of things, and and yeah, I say go go read the book. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I don't. Yeah, but, don't give the whole book away. But yeah, yeah. But um, I think for me, it was definitely a. Uh, a difficult situation because on one hand there's a love interest and I just want to have this romantic experience and I also want to of course appear together and skillful with this California guy who is very comfortable in the big outdoors and here I am with a group of people that I don't know and who bring all their own uh, dramas and dreams and expectations to go to this remote remote mountain and it's not an easy journey so of course these people are starting to unravel and I knew that but I don't think that I necessarily knew how to deal with it 
Um, and, you know, when people start panicking and you get into high altitude, like it's sort of an interesting, um, you can't handhold people in yeah, a way. Yeah, it's a conundrum. Because there's, yeah, you, <laughs> because there's no escape. So here we are. Uh, so very interesting that there may have been the, the desire to go on a pilgrimage that was um, founded in some sort of spirituality, like some principles of being open and being in the journey and being, but here we were acting out our social dramas <laughs> and not handling very well the discomfort of being in the own uh, unknown and being out there where you can't just call up a taxi and say, you want to go home. You are pretty much out there and there's just no escape. Um, you, you know, we hiked, we flew to several little airports and then we had to hike for seven days and then we were brought out to the mountain over a couple of days of driving in Jeeps. Um, and then we had to hike around the mountain and then we were driving back to Lhasa for seven days. It took seven days on these very bumpy, bad roads. And so it was physically hard, emotionally hard. And the people were just in each their own way, kind of falling apart. And I was the one who were going to keep it all together. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was a lot of learning and, and, you know, I'm not going to give away what happens, but it was just definitely sort of understanding that you don't become a leader of a group to be liked. You know, <laughs> you become, a, you lead the group with the, with, keeping everyone safe and do, making the hard decisions. And mm -hmm. so that was sort of a hard thing because I had to sacrifice what I wanted the most. So, you know, it was, it was sort of an interesting, and, you know, I think we came there with hopes of having our karma released and some magical, spiritual, transcendent experience. But, you know, ultimately, I think we just racked up more karma. You know? <laughs> there is that saying, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> yes. So, but that, that, that experience and the meeting of that mountain and just in myself, what it stirred in me, but also just the, the, the landscape out there has all these mythical, spiritual, um, symbolic meanings. So that was fascinating to me. And what I learned, I brought with me back to America into marriage, um, with the California guy and, uh, I think when I finally sat down and wrote that book, Seeing Red, uh, A Woman's Quest for uh, Truth, Power, and the Sacred, I think I finally could finish and write the book when I had integrated over many years the lessons that was presented at Mount Kailash and kept coming up in my life forward into marriage, into um understanding that you know like this whole metaphor of, of the mountain seemed to have been played out even my uh ex-husband and i every anniversary we kind of had a thing where we had to go do something with a mountain we had to go climb a mountain or you know <laughs> so so there was sort of an interesting thing there um but yeah I, then the, my my 30s were america and marriage uh and also uh, starting to work more independently and creatively. So there was sort of an opening into working with film, uh, writing, photography came in and 
um, I started the... Yeah, maybe you could tell us a little bit about um, the photography, working with people. Okay, yeah, Is that, yeah. What were, you, what were you thinking about? Yes, I mean, that definitely was something that came up in the 30s. So we're coming into your 30s. Uh, we've got the whole Mount Kailash thing. you got the California guy. You're starting to explore more visually. You mentioned that you were moving into sort of a more independent kind of, I don't know, something. You said something about independence. And, um, yeah, so take it away. Yeah, so 30s were kind of, setting up a life in America, which, you know, another culture, another way. And then also um, being sort of drawn in and curious, you know, talk about what drives you. But um, my ex-husband, yeah, we later on divorced. So, um, <laughs> but, but he was working with the film media and I was very drawn to that. So we, and we had a desire to work together. You know, there was sort of a creative uh, union of yes there was sort of this desire we're gonna you know go off and do all these great projects together and so I you know came in and was fascinated with the uh, visual the film media and uh, you know I'd always written but here there was a different dimensions being put together in into a film media that now I when really... you say film are you talking photography or yeah uh, vi video, video film okay. yeah video he yeah so that was sort of a dive into learning about that and then um yeah getting into sort of more of developing a visual a, a, an artistic aesthetic developing um a creative expressive side of me you know at the beginning that was sort of wow can I even do this but but so that was interesting and it was again drawn into by the impulse of this I'm curious about this you know I come from uh, working in the developing uh, field being a development associate working with community groups and um, developing programs in in Nepal and then I dive into working with the Chaos Pilots, which is more about entrepreneurship and change agents and more about developing the personal, mm -hmm. your personal development and being able to go out and do your project and, and instigate change. That was what that was about. And then coming in now to work with with film and movie and, and art. At the time, it was also very much... Um, actually focused for me on still had that humanitarian uh, personal development growth change that that was still kind of a part of the films that we got to do were about that you know saving the so world <laughs> well or just you know like how do we how do we change like how do and and some of the films we did were for UNICEF. You know, we worked on a documentary, a short one, a ghetto kid in Richmond, how he mm. in his community was um, trying to be a mentor for the kids 
to keep them off the streets, to keep them off drugs, to keep them away from whatever else was going on there, you know? So that was an example of a role model, a young guy who wanted to nurture the potential, but also protect the kids, you know, from, uh, from the ghetto life and give them more opportunity and safety. Um, so that was still part of the focus in a way. And then the photography for me came in, um, you know, one thing I started writing, and I actually started writing Seeing Red already then more as a travel memoir than a, a, a female journey memoir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then I also started, brought an old Nikon camera because everything at that point was already digital and I had turned on to the light you know it's like in visual storytelling in in film I I understood I was drawn to understanding the light because I saw that that was ultimately the the crucial element in in expressing or or composing or whatever you wanted to express in the visual you needed to play with the light it's all light yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) so that was kind of my my drawing so i brought an old analog nikon camera and i wanted to play with black and white photography uh people and i remember many years ago back in nepal i had a camera that i was in love with how i could spend a whole day sitting in a in a square waiting for that girl to turn her head you know like i was there was something of that that came back to me um and then all kinds of other things happened very quickly uh (laughs) that brought me to create lolo's boudoir a studio for women uh exploring and and discovering themselves through photography and you know simple like things like I had made a, a, a boudoir bedroom that was inspired by my mother-in-law at the time. And she had a very ornate Baroque style in her house. And I thought, oh, I want to try that for once. You know, I'm very simplistic <laughs> Danish sensibilities. Why not go to town? <laughs> and um, and so I had a friend photograph me and I photographed her. And it was all very spontaneous. It didn't have lots of deep reflections about what we were doing. But the experience struck some chord in me it's like wow you feel kind of awkward and uncomfortable in front of the camera but then once you start playing and 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 it became fun and it became liberating and um and i think at the time you know i was a couple of years into this marriage and and the sort of the initial romance had shifted into more of we were two people working, trying to get life to, to work our business. And so I think I was starting to, I was in my early thirties and I started to feel differently about being a woman in this relationship. And I think Lolo's Boudoir for me became my, my private space where I could be myself and reconnect to myself and also explore uh, with the other women, what is this um, body? What is how do we how do we engage with our sensuality when when it's not for someone else? What, what how do we even consider our sexuality? So why don't you um, explain? Ex- give us some a little bit more detail about what Lulu's Lolo's boudoir does. What 
you were filming women, but there was more to it than just the body. It was sort of an un, well, like your book, it was an unveiling. Yes. Um, so what, yeah. Explore in the beginning, yeah. So in the beginning, it was just fun. You know, Lolo's boudoir was this fun space where I could photograph the women and I would invite them to play and express different sides of them. And in the beginning, beginning, it was just private in my home. And then at some point in my life, I um, a few years later, I more and more people came to me and wanted to be photographed. So I created the business Lolo's Boudoir and I created a studio uh, in Sausalito that was very much inspired by, I mean, sort of French boudoir style um, with antique furnitures and props and crazy outfits and it was a very magical space and and that would be the place where I would photograph the women and then you know as more and more women came and I had it as my profession it was a business and holding space uh understanding how the camera had such a a catalytic or maybe even a therapeutic um uh, quality to help women um, kind of shed their shames and insecurities and all the stuff that actually c- comes up when you point a camera at someone. And it might not be sort of a mental thing, but it's more of a physical, you could see it in the body. So I, I were tuned into this and obviously had many intimate uh, conversations and, and um, encounters with many, many different women. And, you know, over the years, I started to understand more and more about what's going on with women and their relationship to themselves, to their bodies, to their sexuality, and in a very image-driven society, how women are caught in this um, external orientation of looks and being the right thing and 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 rather than being more in in a inner relationship to yourself as a woman with your body um with your soul with your self-expression with your own uh definition of beauty so it was sort of an interesting um thing of using the camera it was sort of a paradox using image making images to help undo stereotypical images that women have been force-fed from day one. Uh, This is what a woman looks like, sexy, whatever, powerful, beautiful. And and for the women to explore their own and actually bring Mm -hmm. them back into the bodies. And so that was sort of a whole big, um, more than a decade of working this way with women and learning more and more. And then ultimately the last couple of years uh, completing that book, unveiled that's about like almost takes takes the viewer the reader into that experience of women unveiling themselves for themselves women being witnessed women finding the courage to actually be seen in a very intimate way but also seeing themselves and um and the awakening that happens for a lot of women when they work with me, where they find a sense of liberation or they finally feel at home in their skin or they integrate parts they've disowned or lost along the way or lovers has taken, stolen from them, whatever, so, you know. Like, so describe um, 
that process of inviting a woman into this space to explore herself, and she's probably got some fears coming in, right? Mm-hmm. And probably that big gulp, like, oh, my God. Um, and well, then, I... And then um, the chemistry, uh, you, you know, you, you're providing an invitation. You're On the one hand, you're the observer, but on the other hand, you're also the invitee or the in- inviter, and that, you know, what's that like for both you and for them? <laughs> Read the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, when it's well, out, I will. <laughs> yes. There's actually also a video on my website where some of the women and I speak about the process. So that might be fun for anyone. But this is what more... I, I, I am interested in this part, too, though. So there's this... Yeah, no, I'm going to talk about it, but I just thought there's more material that's available for people who are curious. They're listening. Right. They want to know more. But we'll, but and we'll have but, a list of the sites they can go to and all of that. But Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, I mean, I, you know, sort of from hindsight, it's always different than when you're in it and things are evolving. So when I look back and I sort of think about some of the things that goes into the process first, this was a business, so a woman would have to choose to do this and on her own time and, and dime, so to speak. So there was sort of a decision for her to make. And in that decision, I learned quickly that this is not something that you can... Most people have their own timing. So some woman I learned might have read an article about me and, and put it in her drawer, and it would take her three, four, five, even seven years before she could make the call and come see me. And in all this time, whether it's three months or seven years, a woman is in her own inner conversation about why she wants to do this, what she expects to get from it, why she should not do it, why she's not like all the other women who all look so good or why she doesn't have the perfect body, she can't do it. And uh, you know, like all this inner, she's already confronting her fear, her insecurity, her shames, her dreams and her desire and her longing also. So this happens before she even gets in front of my camera. Very few. I mean, here and there, there's been a person who sees it and she's like, yeah, I want to do it. And she's diving right in. So she's doing it for the adventure, the thrill of it. Uh, and then there's the other type of woman who's more, in, you, it's part of her uh, self-discovery. It's her transformation. She might want to heal her relationship to her body. There might have been some sexual abuse in her life where she she never felt like her sexuality was really her own. You know, all kinds of things. Milestone birthdays uh, before being pregnant, wanting to celebrate your body the way it is now. And women later on in 50s and 60s, Wanting to explore their womanhood, their sensuality, their you know the sense yeah, of themselves. So holding the space for this to happen, um, I can only imagine they're coming to you with their most vulnerable side, and yes. you're creating a container for them to do this exploration. And so it's a it's a two way. I mean, it's it you know it obviously takes two to make this happen. Yeah, um, but that. I don't know. I mean, I feel the sacredness of this. I, how 
tender, how vulnerable, how fragile that space could be, too, if you did something that just did, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's just, I find that well, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. And, and obviously, because I've done it so much, like second nature to me, so I don't even think about what I'm doing. But, but I think there is the understanding that the power I hold in my hand with the camera, but also wanting genuinely, I mean, my premise has always been to find beauty in anyone who walks through the room. So I have to look for that. I have to discover that because that's my mission. That's what I promised this woman. I'm going to see you. I'm going to see you. I'm going to look for where I feel you. And also my style, you know, there's a lot of photographers and boudoir photographers out there who want you to look the most fantastic and um, be the most seductive and sexy and beautiful and retouch and all those things. And I never did those things. That was not my promise. I'm not going to make you something that you are not. And I'm certainly not going to make pictures of you that objectify you and is for the viewer. So even if we may start with lingerie, because that's the way this woman can enter into this space, I don't mind. I don't care. I don't have an agenda. I don't have a set uh, program of what we're going to do. So I actually now show up completely empty. I have no preparation, so to speak, other than me having talked and set the set set the space set the the framework for how this works and what we're going to do and bounced ideas and understood more about her where she's at what she's hoping for if there's certain facets she wants to express all these things we've talked about before but when we show up to the actual we have a space we have some ideas we want to play with she's brought some things and and other than that, there's no preparation. I just show up empty, and that's and I have come to trust that we we dive in together, and we it's a collaboration. It's like a, a dance we do together. And my goal is to hold her hand, guide her, but also push her a little bit over the edge. You know, like so. There's sort of a, a an intuitive. Where do I push? Where do I nudge? What is my sense that she really wants to do, but she might not be able to mm-hmm. express verbally, uh, uh, seeing her? So there's a lot going on in this session that's about keeping it safe and comfortable and fun and also deep and and guiding her to go where she needs to go. And I don't know where that is. So it's sort of like a... And, you know, I, I think I joked someplace sometimes when people have interviewed me about this before. It's like I, I have, you know, I fall in love with the people I photograph. I, if I, it's, a, it's the best way and most genuine way to truly hold the space. You just have to fall in love with that person. And when you are in love with a person, you look for, it, it's magical. You look for the that thing about that person, everything about that person is interesting and you really see with those eyes and that's a way to connect. And I think the women feel that I have the best of intentions for them. I'm not, I'm not out to 
show them in any kind of harsh light and I'm not out to document all those flaws or I'm not out to it's not a it's not a sexualized or you know it's more of a you called it sacred but it's more of this a sacred creative feminine mysterious place where we go and and mm. we explore together it's not like i know or she knows you know we're both in this and then i nudge and push and and <laughs> this and that and 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 there's always this moment where she has come to a point where she has shed a lot of the layers and she forgets about the camera. She trusts me. She can surrender. And suddenly there's like, oh, my God, I, I saw her, you know. And it's, so I have a visceral reaction. I, you know, I giggle or, you know, I just and it's a play with her and the space and the light and the, you know, so it's just such a... Um, yeah, it's such a, it's, I don't know how to describe it, but it is sort of getting into the zone of yeah. both of us surrendering and being in the zone. And all of a sudden, you know, three hours later, we're completely spent and we're done and we can't even think about another thing to do. <laughs> um, okay, so let's, um, let's move onward here. Um, my 40s, let's get to my 40s. All right. I, okay, let's, so let's go into the forties. When did that happen? <laughs> well, I'm not I'm too deep. Long ago. I'm deep into my forties. Are you now. deep into your forties now? Oh. oh my God! And and if thirties were dancing in relationship and learning about relationship and creative expression and and being. Um, more independently in my my work, my vocation, and exploring creatively. Um, and Lolo's boudoir, uh, you know, also has spilled deep into my forties. Um, but but then you know, at some point, I divorced. Um, I think it was nine years with this man, and there was a point where it's just like this is not this is not part of my future. Um, so, but then my forties had been sort of, I was thinking about it this morning before we jumped on the phone, thinking about the decades and my forties have been more about an inner exploration, um, an unraveling of everything that I built in a way, uh, in America. So and, describe that. Well, with the divorce, you know, it was, it was, it pulled the rug out of this life that I built uh, in America around my marriage and around this person, around, yeah, my business, all of that. But being divorced pulled the rug. And then as an explorer and probably pretty keen on understanding a few things about myself and about relationship, about life, what happened, right? Um, I went with it. I just kind of let myself unravel. And at the same time, there's a sort of two things that happened in those early first couple of years in my 40s, where on one hand, I had to just get my life back on the feet, you know, because I was separating and the business and all, you know, I had to make life work now on my own. And at the same time, everything was falling apart. It was just so bizarre, <laughs> two different things. But Lolo's Boudoir 
became then my full-time business and and perhaps savior in a way because this was you know having held the space for women for so long it was almost like now the space could hold me also Mm. so that spilled into my work with the women too that i became more vulnerable and i could not upkeep the uh the Miss Lolo got it all worked out kind of character. You know, I had to sort of deepen into other spaces of being a woman that kind of came through being divorced. And then at the same time, it became also like a deep inner awakening. Lots of different, more esoteric, mystical things happened to me that brought me deeper into understanding uh, being life, um, consciousness, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in Marin, we all go, we have a, no problem talking about consciousness and it's all one and we are all love. And you know, like, mm-hmm. so, but I had, I went into some deep trainings and initiations with this woman, Ariel Spielsbury, uh, that again, sort of like Kyla's just kind of initiated me into a deep process I was sort of initiated into another deeper process that was a lot more inner. Sort of like if the 30s were about relationship and marriage, this was more the inner marriage that's been going on in the uh, 40s. And then, I mean, I could talk a lot about that. There's probably different parts of that process, but there was the sort of initial couple of years of going through the divorce, a lot of heartache and... Uh, at the same time being this woman holding space for women's heartaches in general. (laughs) Uh, And so it it had sort of a a beautiful synergy around it. Um, And then um, once kind of I was on my feet and life was good and I was this cute chick over in Sausalito with my Lolo's boudoir and being artistic and driving around my de chevaux and having my little Mexican macho dog. And, you know, (laughs) everything was kind of beautiful and wonderful. And, um, but I think I had deepened so much into this awakening that these mysterious things about life and energy and consciousness and, sexuality and creativity and and sort of the inner fire and the the, the connection with divine like the inspirational you know so many things opened up for me that I'm still trying to understand and make sense of um so pick one that really stands out here especially big like what has what if when you look back at that period or now what's the biggest piece that's right in front of you that you look at and uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's. Uh, let Let me see if I can. Um, I mean, the biggest thing that that's that I'm still grappling with is that here, this beautiful life. Uh, for some reason, I I still had the impulse uh, that I needed to. Uh, dismantle it i mean it to tear it all apart and that made absolutely no sense to me and so for years i resisted this 
urge that I felt to drop a bomb. It was like a, literally a feeling of wanting to drop a bomb. And why would you want to drop a bomb in something that works? But for some... It's such a beautiful place too. And you, the, yeah, commu- it's, the community it, around you and all the yeah, rest of it. Yeah. So it, it, it it's, it's a part that just made absolutely no sense. But I started to finish my book, publish my book. I finished a program for women. I tried to do all these adult things, but they all had this sense of completing something, which is sort of a a strange. And then ultimately, uh, a couple of years ago, I, I had to, I could not stop this train that was moving through my life. So I just said, okay, I, I gotta untether from this. And so the last couple of years, I let go of everything I own and let go of my place, let go of my studio. I still photograph, but I let go of that particular place. Um, so I have had this deep, deep, deep <laughs> um, shedding and unveiling in a way where I have let go of the nice persona, the brand, the all the trappings around me that looked so beautiful and so perfect and the things that I identified with. And, and I put myself into this journey of there's no, um, there's nothing I can hide behind. There's nothing um, that I um, like. So in a way the, 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 the way I see it now is that I've been called back to my roots in Denmark and have been back and forth now the last couple of years between uh, San Francisco and my roots in Denmark to kind of do a gentle exploration in terms of what is it that I'm drawn to do now. I thought I wanted something completely new, but I think in this gentle way, doing the unveil book has has sort of kept and we'll get back to this and when we talk a little bit about what what drives me and but but there's been sort of this the things that don't want to go away is kind of even if i resist there's sort of a uh, a stubbornness and and uh, unveil did not want to go away and and on and off i resisted doing that project because it's really taken all out of me to do it and but now I'm 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 like well this is a this is the part of the creative process and the intelligence of life and it doesn't necessarily feel good, um, but here if you look at the hero's journey you know at, at at the end of finding the holy grail and all this there is the last part that's called the long walk home, and mm. I feel like I'm in the long walk home and for some reason I literally had to go back home. And I'm starting to understand it now. Why? Because it's not like, why would I come back here? You know, what's here for me? But, but I think what's happened for me is that I've been shifting vantage point and, and lens view and perspective and language back and forth, back and forth. You know, so I'm breaking up a lot of <laughs> stagnant stuff or... I'm breaking up the surety that I know exactly how the world works and what it all means, you know? So, so being comfortable in not knowing and being in the space of life of what is really left when all those trappings and attachments and identifications are gone. 
Like, who are you at the core? So that's been such a not pleasant and not fun, but so a wonderful. So that does beget a great question. What are you finding there now? Or have you gone deep enough into this to feel like you've unveiled far enough within yourself to see who you are? Um, um, are we still just I, like in well, mile I four I, on a 10-mile hike here? <laughs> well, I, I feel like I have a few more years left in my 40s, and I'm hoping that I can that this process is sort of the fermenting and distillation and embodying and 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 I want to I want to try to speak to what I found but I also want to say that the impulse for all of this was 4 years ago in Sausalito where I was walking with a poet uh down the street on the waterfront and questioning everything I was like I don't understand. Here we are walking around, um, living in our own ecstatic, awakening, bliss bubble in Sausalito, in San Francisco. Uh, and we all talk about consciousness and we all talk about oneness. We all talk about uh, all this love. And But how many of us actually do the, the work of finding out what we really know about it in a very personal way and what it means for us in a very personal way versus just the conceptual idea of it or things we've studied and learned? And, you know, so I went in, I wanted to understand what these things mean for me. But at the same time, I also had another thing that I said, and I said, if I stay here, I become like this. And that was followed by this deep feeling of missing the world. So I think what was happening over there was I can live in my fantasy bubble here and it will be beautiful. I can protect myself from all the realities of what's going on in the world and it will be beautiful and I will be very happy. Uh, but for part of me knew this is not real. The real test of all our concepts and our uh, spiritual awakenings and this and that is us going back out in real life, in real human mundane existence and practicing what we preach. So I think I knew that for me to be in integrity, I had to go back out and confront and be in a more mundane world and bring my insights into uh, action and, and, and being and embodiment. So that's, I think this is, this is kind of what's been going on and the hmm. shuffling back and forth between um over there and here and the language and and you know in San Francisco yeah we all still can be in our spiritual mindset and mentality and however evolutionary whatever we call it uh it, it's still when I'm there it's still it feels real because obviously I've been there a long time and it's part of me and at the same time when I bring the concepts over to Denmark um and just say the things, awakening or feminine paradigm or, you know, this and that. <laughs> People are more like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, 
So it's interesting, but I also think as the cultures and the language is so different, and, and here it's more pragmatic. Here, the feminine paradigm is, is, is manifested into real life in terms of equal rights, equal pay, uh, honoring uh, giving birth, and, and, and how much time you get off. Uh, to be with the baby, you know, like there is, it's, it's manifested into the way society is organized in a different way. So it's sort of a, a more mm. pragmatical, practical way. Um, and of course, there's lots of seeking also over here, people wanting to, to open up to live in a more heart centered, spiritual understanding of life and being a human. Um, so I think that that's part of it that I have been drawn out to know you want to have a, a 3D life in human flesh. You know, I, I can't exist up in that dimension of, of, <laughs> of a, an overlaid, almost conceptual idea of consciousness and, and what it all means. And so that's, that's part of it. I'm going to have to show up in 3D and be a human being in human flesh and have human experiences. <laughs> <laughs> so are we ready to go into the three tips that you might have? Um, yeah, I might just wrap this up in terms of a little bit about what is there when everything is, is left Okay. Um, because I, I, I feel like that in a way it's not very mysterious and at the same time it's probably really hard to get there because our lives are so filled with stuff <laughs> and our minds are filled with a lot of uh, s stimulation. So it's hard maybe to go there and have that experience and not – there's a difference between meditating and finding a stillness and then – your whole life being that meditation, I think. Mm. Uh, uh, because, you know, in, in taking all the la layers and, 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 and all the things that I've known and I built away, to a certain extent, of course, they're not away. I'm still me. I'm still doing stuff. I'm still writing. I'm still wanting to go out and do projects and this and that. So it's not like all of that has gone, but it's more the identities around it. Um, and I think, and I think the fear, the, the, I have had to confront so much fear in myself and the fear that I feel is in our world at the moment. Um, you know, basic stuff like survival and, um, the, 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 the fears, am I going to be able to find the right way? And, um, and I think for me, being so open for wanting something new to happen in my life and realizing, no, it's not, it's not that. I'm going to spin it back to where we started between the, the one place, cocoon, home, belonging to the land versus the adventurer and the explorer. Um, I think untethering and sort of going off on the magic carpet into a new adventure. I was ready and thought I was going to go to another country, have a new love affair, you know, have a new career. You know, I was open for all of that. But in this shuffling back and forth, rocking 
uh, back and forth uh, these last couple of years i realize it's it's not about that um the the um the the journey has taken me into the sort of a deeper what's at the core of me and what do i really want to do now for the next part of my life even if i don't necessarily know exactly what it looks like and also what um what is my what am i called to do and and a lot of the things that i i already am doing you know it's just a matter of me committing now and that in a funny way requires a, a different setup in my life it's like i have, i have am filled up with so much material that i don't actually need to go out and find new material uh yes i need to go out and 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 be inspired and i will always have a little bit of that restless soul but i think the challenge for me and the, and sort of the okay are you going to do this thing are you going to sit your ass down in the chair and express yourself all these things are you going to put it into form are you going to create are you going to give all of you into these things that you can then share with other people and the world you know so so the distillation process is is still happening and 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 um and i think at the core of all of it is um it's like um you know uh, if you think of a pendulum that swings back and forth and then it comes to sort of a a still point mhm i i feel like that's what i found i have found a deep core that feels very stable and calm and joyous actually and trusting that no matter what the heck's going on even if my life looks like it's in in havoc and nothing makes sense and there's a peace inside of me that's really calm and grounded about the whole thing which is sort of amazing Hmm. Uh, so so there is a a deep faith and and dedication to this path mm-hmm. and that that's the that's the drive and and sometimes i really get that feeling that you i may the adventure in me may want to go out and do brand new i want something new i want to live a new place i want new people i want to but i think I have these moments where I really feel again in a visceral sense that the path is already laid out for me what I'm going to do who I am and and who I'm going to be it's already there and you can hop and dance and you can escape it and resist it and you can go on crazy detours but ultimately it's written which is sort of an interesting because <laughs> I do think we have free will right we have free will to shape and choose but I have a innate sense that no matter what my soul is leading me somewhere whether i like it or not <laughs> <laughs> funny i was i was journaling today about um almost this very thing free will versus destiny maybe or the mm. life we're supposed to be on and i was using kayaking as the metaphor um the river yeah. is directed by the canyon right and that's the route that's the journey following the river to the sea so to speak and yet within that river if you're in a craft like a kayak to run that river 
well to do the dance with the water right you really have to um you've got to do your part with it you've got to paddle right you know you have to know how to work with the water to dance with it to to move with it to find mm -hmm. the right path as you're going with it and um so it feels like it's a if the water is the flow and the destiny we still have to do our part that human this within us needs to get in there and do its thing. I don't, it's, 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 it's interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. It's, 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 it makes me think about, um, this, uh, unveil program that I created for women and, and I'm probably going to put into a, a journal book, uh, that women can go off and do their own thing with. But, I, the, I came up with these concepts that describes in a way uh, what you describe when you're in a kayak. And um, I came up with the, with the, to kind of understand where, what we navigate with and how we navigate the waters, uh, sensibility and then responsibility. And it's sort of like you're in the kayak and you're sensing the movement and, and how, and then you are using your ability to, to respond that's how you actually navigate and, and uh, you take responsibility for how you're going to get down that river. And you guide it um, by choices. But it's intuitive, obviously, because you're in the water, so you have to <laughs> kind of do it. But that's sort of an interesting maybe way, another way of understanding how do we then navigate this river of life if there are uh you know the the soul if you want to live a life that's soulful that's heartful that's guided by your heart your intuition your deepest desires your soul if that's how you want to live um it's not you can't navigate from an egoic place you you can't just make a, a, a plan and execute it like a manager. Mm -hmm. You can't, you, you know, you can't. No, life doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, no, you can't put a motor on your kayak and just charge ahead in a straight line. <laughs> so, so it's, I think the, 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 the tools we have at hand, and maybe that's part of the tips, um, the tools we have at hand are, one, our sensibility, our ability to sense, you know, and that's that's the, the your body becomes your compass. Uh, it has a lot of information for us. You know, you you engage in that sort of a internal landscape of yourself to learn the language to navigate by, and that can be getting familiar with your heart what's really in your heart how does your heart feel at different times how does it respond to this or that situation your gut how do you engage and understand the signals of your gut when it's excitement when it's fear it sits in the same place it feels sort of the same but you interpret it differently um when where in your body do you feel yes where in your body do you feel no you know like so you start getting familiar with your sensory system and your intuition um that will take some effort if you're not used to it um you you're gonna have to learn to drop out of your mind and 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 
frankly, there's been lots of uh, studies of the mind. And, you know, 99, 96% of what we think is repetition and pretty stupid. So <laughs> don't trust your mind, you know, to know the path either. Um, and then, you know, once you start getting into a more um, sensory communication with yourself and you start learning your inner signals, um, you know, and, and for some people it's all different. Some people will will hear or see images and see symbolic stuff or people will get physical sensations that then spur some some images or some other mind inspiration you know however it works you have your own way mm -hmm. um but that's a definite a way to start listening to that inner voice it, it's uh listening to your body compass mm -hmm. um and then the power and the the free will the choices the the is how you then choose to respond to that right so there is some muscle building in terms of of trusting your your intuition trusting uh, and and one way that that could be obvious depending on 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 where you are in yourself and your life but you know it's the breadcrumbs of excitement Mm -hmm. or flashes of desire god i wish i could do that or wow this is really inspiring to me or you know so you start paying attention to those things that many people because they're already pretty set on course in their life um they dismiss it oh no i couldn't that's stupid or no nah, why would i and then you know you you Back to maybe the, the childhood thing. Sometimes that's a way, right? You go back, who were you as a kid when you were sort of still unspoiled and mm -hmm. unconditioned? And what were the things that you loved to do then? Like, can you remember some of that? Can you tap into that? Can you engage in a dialogue with that and, and help bring some of that forward into your, to, into your life? And, you know, if you're, you know in your 40s or 50s or you know 60s a lot of people may may feel like it's too late it's never too late never too late and and whether it's going to learn another language or learn a dance or uh, take up writing or painting or wanting to become a travel guide or you know like yeah, whatever yeah. it is it's just never too late to ignite the curiosity and so let's say people have this curiosity now okay it's like hmm my life has felt pretty empty so far i mean maybe they've had maybe they're in their 40s or 50s they've had a certain amount of success maybe even a lot of success and there's still that they know there's something bigger that they're supposed to be doing um they can feel it. They can't put their finger on it, but work is kind of empty. They're looking at the kids are all through school and they're out and they're doing their own thing. And so now you're just back to you and your partner and something is calling. You might have some tips on this. So we were talking about the three tips. How do you, where would you go? What three pieces of advice could you give to these people to help them get started on this journey? <laughs> well, I think definitely like we just spoke, it's it's kind of start 
listening to your inner voice, start getting in touch with your curiosity. Uh, start maybe if it's if if you don't have a clear sense of what it is you long for, start tapping into your longings and your dreams and your okay, desires. So I'm going to take this up to we talked with be about beginner's mind. Okay, a process. Yeah. yeah. So let's yeah. talk about beginner's mind first, because the body is actually what you've been talking about is really that second point, getting yeah. in touch with your. Um, you know, with your, your yeah, your, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your sensory, your yeah. So let's talk about heart. beginner's mind. Well, the you know, start start doing something where you are a beginner. Doesn't matter what it is; it can be super simple. Just start practicing being a beginner and not knowing. Um, I mean, I have, for most people, probably done taking these explorations into the extreme mm -hmm. <laughs> been pretty radical in my my uh, explorations um, because I there is a, a drive in me that wants to get to the core that's curious they want to get to the essence I really want to understand I want to feel I want to you know um, and and we have different drives so it doesn't have to look that radical but as you can tell, you know, I have thrown myself in, uh, into lots of situations that are unknown. So I have a certain familiarity and I built a certain faith and trust uh, in my ability to navigate the unknown. So, um, so maybe this, you know, describe you, yeah. beginner's mind is sort of this empty space of admitting that I don't know. I don't know how yeah. this works, or I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah, and then I then I I think that whatever that looks like, take up an activity where you don't know. Go on a go on a trip to a place you've never been. Uh, you know, you could, there's many ways that you can engage in the unknown. You could you could. Go painting. Into, you could take yeah, a, yeah, 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 or pottery yeah. or something. Uh, that you or know. you, you know, uh, for many people today, it might be radical to say, "I'm going to go into a hut in the mountains with no connectivity whatsoever, yeah. and I'm just, I'm going to be with myself." I mean, that ultimately is probably the biggest unknown for many people. And that takes a lot of courage. People don't really want to feel. People really don't want to confront themselves with their own inner demons of various sorts. So that would be a, a, a great move. <laughs> I mean, I, I went into Vipassana a long, long time ago, uh, 11 days of silence um, and a meditation where you can't move for an hour so your body hurts. And, and so, but there you are definitely confronted with your mind and your your yeah i would actually say that's a bit on the radical side i did a 28 day meditation retreat in thailand where it was we worked up to 12 hours a day and then it ended with a 72 hour straight meditation and it's one of the most difficult things i've ever done you know if you're going to try meditation maybe just start with five minutes ten minutes in the morning so oh, yeah, I'm I'm more talking about getting out of your habitual life and being okay. in 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 an unknown uh, situation where you don't have to meditate, but you could go off and be alone, or mm -hmm. you could go off on a trip where you're alone in a place with strangers, because it's gonna 
get you closer to you. You're going to get into a, a more intimate relationship with yourself and, and experience yourself in new situations. And that's going to help build you the faith uh, and, or the, the trust and the ability to navigate the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing with creative pro- projects. If you, know, if you want to write or if you want to paint or dance or all these different... Uh, expressive ways that's gonna it's it's not like all joy and comfort but you are going to learn about your own inspiration and you're going to learn about if you sit down to write you're going to tap into a a a process of discovery of your own voice what's really inside of you that you had no idea about the same thing with painting so i think there's Getting, getting yourself into s- expressive situations where you tap into your imagination, you tap into your unconscious, your, your uh, sort of the divine inspiration. Mm-hmm. You, you discover more of your inner landscape and vocabulary. Like you, it's sort of like the, you can go off out and in, in the outer world um, in the same way and have an experience where you're, you're being stimulated, but let that open you up inside. And cause you're going to expand and discover a richness and complexity in yourself that you're going to bring into your, uh, experience. Okay. So we have the beginner's mind. Now we, the next step is, you know, cultivate your beginner's mind next is, and put yourself in experiences that are outside your comfort zone that strip away all those, a lot of the familiarity. So you really have an opportunity to look at yourself from new perspectives and in new situations where you can't clutch on to that, which, um, I don't know. That you've known. Yeah. Yeah, It takes you back to that comfort place where it's like, ah, Okay, so let's yeah. go to the second one, the body. And I, and, and, I, and with the beginner's mind, <laughs> I want to say, I say get curious. Become curious about life, yeah. yourself, your situation. Just It's not, definitely, it's not a fight. This is not a battle. This is about a relaxing, no, it's, it's, almost having a sense of humor, a gentleness, yes. a smile as you do this. Well, pretend you're, you know, sometimes I feel like maybe, I, God, I wish I was born at the time of Christopher Columbus. Wouldn't that have been amazing? <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't amazing a lot of times. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of like beginner's minds, a new lens view, a new filter, a new perspective. Put yourself in different uh, vantage points and look at life and your world and and, and your dreams and your desires and and become an explorer as if you were Columbus, you know, you were going off into, you were following an an instinct and some sense that over there is some land that I want to go find. Right. Okay. So now we're moving to body. Okay. And we talked about that a lot, basically getting in touch with your body and learning how it speaks to you. What is true for you? Not what you think is true, but what can you feel is true in your body? When do you know that you're on track, sort of following your North Star versus when are you not? When can, yeah. When do you say, no, this is the wrong direction. Now I need to stop and find another path or just sit for a bit and 
Latvia. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think, you know, it's, it's, um, a lot of times I've followed both creatively and in my life, either it's been like the excitement, like, yes, I gotta do this. Or some of these things have also been a little haunting, uh, <laughs> intriguing. Mm -hmm. They keep showing up. They won't leave me alone. And so I have to go explore it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I would say don't 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 resist trust that life throws you these breadcrumbs or signs of excitement or inspiration or little flashes trust them even if you don't know where it's going to go trust that it's going to take you somewhere that you do actually want to go mm -hmm. even if you don't know what it's going to look like okay the next thing I have here on this list that we talked about before we started the interview is your stories. Are they limiting or liberating? Yes. Um, <laughs> well, we all, I mean, we all tell stories about ourselves, who we are, uh, who we are in connection to our communities and the world. And, and a lot of the, there's a lot of power in stories because, you know, you can tell yourself a story day in and day out that actually really limits your ability to see yourself in a new way or experience life in a new way. So I would, I would encourage you to start listening to your stories about yourself and your life and who you are and who other people are and, and what you can do, what you can't do and start noticing when you are telling a story that feels contracting and limiting and, and, shriveling up a little piece of you and the stories that you tell that expand you and inspire you and, and, and liberate you into new possibility. Um, cause I don't think we are aware of, of the power of the word and how we constantly frame ourselves in certain ways. And that's just one perspective. You could frame yourself in a completely different way and have another experience. Yeah. I, I remember hearing a quote at a, um, uh, workshop I went to it's we are meaning making machines and the way <laughs> yeah. that we make meaning is through story so be very careful about the stories you be cre you create because they will define you or they will yeah. they can both as you say they can both open up a world of infinite possibilities and they can also limit you in so many ways I mean what's that saying argue for your limitations and sure enough they're yours <laughs> yes but you know i think it's it's also normal you know we've told stories for years and years and years to to understand and 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 have meaning um but i think the 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 trick is in today's world is that don't get stuck on the story you know it's it's like i I constantly am creating stories and my I think my my mind is wired for story it's fascinating uh <laughs> to me right so I I can dramatize my life into a whole heroic story and think it's really fun but you know I I notice about myself uh, and lately I've noticed a lot about it because I think me being out on a limb right now where nothing really makes sense in a normal life, people are like, what are you doing? And what do you want, you know? 
And I have a desire to make sense to myself of, of what's going on with me. And I also have a desire to make sense to other people. And people ask me a lot. So I have heard myself again and again trying to explain what is going on. But, but what I find is that we often perpetuate a certain feeling state. Uh, if you have a pro problematic thing in your life and you keep talking and telling the story over and over again, you actually keep giving it energy, you keep giving it uh, your life juice and, and you stay in that feeling mode if you're upset or sad or mm -hmm. angry. Whatever. So that's a, a one way to, to be mindful of how you keep yourself in a perpetual story cycle of something that's actually passed. Yeah, what's that saying? Where, where attention goes, energy flows. And if you keep focusing on the yeah. That's, so that's, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, I think for me, I've experienced oftentimes that something I was very enamored with and, and were deeply engaged with inquiring into and talking about it all the time. And there always comes a point where all of a sudden I can't even really remember why it was so important. <laughs> and I, and, or I come to another point where I'm like, God, I'm so bored with talking about this stuff I, my story is boring and those two signals are for me that i'm ready to to release that story or i'm the inquiry into whatever the topic was has been integrated into me so now it no longer is important i can't even remember it because it's become part of me so that's an, again another level of, of engaging and being mindful of where do you story tell where do you where can you release some some stuff where can you release your your stories about mm -hmm. yourself and your life and open up for something new to happen and i guess also just <laughs> be yes be mindful of your need to explain yourself to other people i think we have we often feel we must explain ourselves to other people and sometimes we don't keep a little bit of your own mystery in your own to your own engagement you don't have to make sense to the world that's the last point doc i, I promise the last point <laughs> let's talk about the success Re yeah okay let's talk about success what is a well-lived life what does it look like? And of course, that's very individual for everyone. But if you want and desire to live and follow your heart and your intuition and, and become the one you're meant to be or your best self or, or a new adventure of you, an experience of you in your life, you need to look at, I think, how you define success. Because I think a lot of what holds us back from taking a risk or doing something completely unexpected is often this uh, outer orientation towards our community, our family, our society. Success looks like this, you know, you, you follow patterns in your life. And by the time you're 50, you should have blah, 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 blah. Um, so obviously I'm a good example of that. I own nothing at the moment, right? <laughs> so I'm starting from scratch and I'm, you know, in my later forties. And so it's like, so that, you know, I'm, I'm bouncing up against that all the time. You know, is it people's projections on me or is it my own projections and, and what is my value? And if I'm honest with myself, I was never driven by the value of accumulating 
stuff and status. It doesn't mean that I don't take pride in what I do and have a deep desire for contributing to our world and being useful, and, but I never defined myself by having the best house in town and having the right furnitures and having the right career path that looked like blah, blah, blah. And of course, I found, you know, I, I, uh, in, in relationship to the outer world, you know, I'm, I'm a, a strange one to some people because I don't follow that path. Um, but that's not my success criteria. Mm-hmm. So I think for you, that might be a step if people feel they hold themselves back for trying something new or pursuing that crazy dream to give up the house in the city and move to some exotic islands and grow coconuts or, you know, whatever crazy dreams we might carry. Look at how you define success and, and, and check in. Is that going to actually hold you back for the rest of your life just so you can satisfy this notion of being a success in society and to your community and the people you compare yourself with. Okay. Enough said. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, Let's, let's cover a few points. Now you have your book. Why don't you tell us about your book that is out first? Um, Seeing seeing red, yes, seeing red uh, covers some of the ground. It's a memoir about the trip to the Mount Kailash in Tibet and then subsequently the years of um, marriage and and, and a bit of (laughs) unraveling. And that's available on my website and Amazon and all these other places. And it can also be ordered in any bookstore. Um, And then I'm right now... uh, trying to find a publisher for my next book, Unveil, which is about the whole more than a decade of these intimate photographic encounters with women, everything that we've uncovered and discovered along the way. So it has both uh, prose and and a collection of images that's going to take you deep into that unveiling journey. And uh, hopefully, I feel like I'm close. I have different things going on with discussions with agents and this and that. And I think a magazine, uh, Model Society, is going to do a full magazine based on my project. So that's exciting. So I I think that's going to come out Mm -hmm. sometime, maybe later this year or early next year. And then they can see your website. Um, Yes. And the way that you spell your name is L-O-N. Well, why don't you give us the website? Yeah, it's it's Lone Merck, and it's spelled L-O-N-E-M-O-R-C-H dot com. So for those of you that are in America, that is Lone Morch. All right. (laughs) If you say so. If you're going phonetically on it, okay? Lone Morch. Okay. But her name is Luna. I'm going to try this again. Merck? Merck? Very close. Luna Merck. Yes, it's fine. (laughs) I give up on that one. Um, And then also, uh, I do come back and forth, Europe and America, and I'm available for photography. And um, if people want to dive in with a session, both women and men, uh, a lot of people also come to me for um, sort of storytelling imagery for their visual brands. A lot of people use that on their websites and social media. Um, and when you're over at, here, you're in the San Francisco Bay Area. 
Yes, I mean, I I am, you know, I often go to the East Coast, and so oh, it all okay. it's, it's, it all depends how where people are if they come to me or I need to go to them, and um, and then there's the there's this the site womenunveiled.com, which is for the book that project, um, and then. Who knows? Uh, I think there's several more writings in the works from my end, and uh, possibly Lolo's Boudoir is um, being revamped into a new uh, version of imaginary play. We shall see. (laughs) (laughs) We shall see. (laughs) So what's the best way for people to follow you or even get in touch with you? I maybe get on the website and sign up for the newsletters. I've been kind of quiet in these last couple of years of going back and forth and feeling sort of in that big transition. Uh, but I'm going to pick it up again and, and send out monthly letters to people uh, to follow the journey. And which website uh, and should they go to? Lona, Lona Merck. Okay. Everything goes back to the same newsletter. I'm I'm one and the same person for now. So. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm on social media also, Facebook and Pinterest, and I try to do all those things. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I think, you know, my hope is that I pick up the, um, the newsletters again, because, you know, I sort of like writing letters back from my travels. Uh, it's a good way. It feels more real and intimate to me. So I'm, I'm sort of trying to find a back into that and communicate to people that way. Cause I know people in the past have, have enjoyed that. It's more personal. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Luna. Really enjoyed this, this sort of exploration really. Well, thank and, you uh, for <laughs> the opportunity to kind of look back over the decades as I'm sort of also looking ahead. Yeah. Fascinating. I'm sure our paths will continue to cross. And um, okay. Well, live well and go out there and and do some leaps and bounces. That's uh, get yourself into a a state of uh, freedom feeling. That's a good place to be. And explore both your inner world and your outer world. Mm -hmm. That's right. Life is short. You can learn more about Luna and her projects at LoneMorch.com. That's L-O-N-E-M-O-R-C-H.com. And you can learn more life lessons from extraordinary people at WhatMakesThemTick.com. This is Doug Green, and thanks for listening. And remember, go out and make your life extraordinary.